if you've ever had someone who encourages you to, you know, take a little shortcut, to do things that are, well, maybe they're not on the up and up. Maybe they're, maybe they're just a little bit questionable. In fact, most people are already doing it that way. But you know down deep inside that it's the wrong thing to do. It's not just socially wrong or culturally wrong, but it's morally wrong. It's not just a violation of a policy or a law. It's, well, it's wrong in every sense then you have a foundation that we call values. And you know as a leader that those values are priceless. That's what I want to talk about today on Leading Leaders. Subscribe now for our extensive video library of leadership lessons promoting faith, family, and freedom. See, it's real easy to have someone come along who says, you know, if you'll just look the other way on this one small thing, you know, don't tell anybody that I showed up later, that I clocked in early. Don't tell anybody that I took an extra 45 minutes on my on my break. Don't tell anybody that that my lunch hour was actually twice. Uh, but And don't tell anybody that I've been on the phone the whole time because I've had my earbud in and, and I haven't been, really been paying attention to my work. I've just been kind of going through the motions because I've really been on the phone the whole time. See, these are the little things that a leader has to make a decision, a judgment call on. And and the judgment is, will I hold to the values of right versus wrong? Do I understand that there is an absolute right versus wrong, a truth and then everything else? And as a leader, when you're challenged on those things, it's really easy to, you know, go to the side of your friend or go to the side of the of what's going to create the least amount of friction in your organization go to the side of, well, here's how I'm going to make peace, if you will, with all the people that I have to work with every day, to go along to get along, even if that going along with the crowd is going against your values. Going along with the crowd is going against what you believe to be true, what you know to be right. It's easy when you're young in life and young in leadership to get caught up in that I want to be everybody's friend. I want to be in the peer pressure aspect. I want to be the one that everybody turns to, not the one everybody turns against. Now, as you get more advanced in your leadership, and and I mean more advanced in years and more advanced in the kind of leadership that you're responsible for, when that goes from a team of maybe three or four to a team of three or four hundred or three or four thousand or, you know, the position of some corporate CEOs, 300 or 400,000 people, now all of a sudden you've got a little different category of pressure. The pressure doesn't usually come from the team that you're leading. It comes from outside because really what they want to do is exert pressure on you as the leader to take your large team to do something that maybe isn't within the line of policy or within the line of moral right and wrong or even within the line of the law. I mean, honestly... If you look back at the generally accepted accounting practices, uh, the gap rules, as they are known, uh, they changed because of Enron. Well, what does that mean? Well, if you go back and study what happened at the corporate offices of Enron uh, in the late 90s and early 2000s and even into uh, as late as 2010, Enron as a company was moving money behind the scenes. They were taking in investments. They were taking people's 401ks. They were taking people's stock purchases and using them to create basically what turned out to be a Ponzi scheme. Now, the people in leadership at various levels were aware that what was happening wasn't what they told the public. 
what was happening wasn't what they told the legal people, I mean, from tax accountants to regular accountants to stockbrokers, that what was actually happening and what they were telling the world was entirely different. Well, at some level, every leader knew that what they were doing was, it's a little bit not right. What they were doing was criminal. And many of them caught some time and some hefty fees as a result of that. And because of the way that they manipulated the system, the way that they played on the peer pressure, the way that they utilized marketing tools and things of that nature to get their win, so to speak, the way that they cheated people to get their win changed the way the rules are written. They didn't just bend the rules that existed. They broke them so badly new rules had to be made. Now, if you work in an organization as a leader, whether it's three or five people, three or 500 people, three or 5,000 people, or 300,000 people that you lead, if you work in an organization as a leader, there will be a time, I promise you there will be a time, that someone will ask you to check your values at the door to go along with the company policy to check your values at the door to go along with popular opinion, to check your values at the door to go along with the political winds of the day. Good leaders know that values are priceless, meaning there is no price tag you can put on our values. If you hold your values and your moral values to be compass-driven, that you know what they are and they don't change, those values, their principles, like the roots of a tree, sure the wind's going to blow the tree around, and the leaves may come off the tree, and limbs may break off the tree, but it's going to take a mighty forceful wind from a sustained time period and direction pushing against that tree to uproot it. Values should be like that tree, not just moving with the wind as it changes directions, not fearing the leaves that go away, that fall in the summer and, or the winter and come back in the spring and the summer. Not that kind of tree, but the kind of tree that says, I'm going to stand my ground. Now, if you've ever noticed, a small tree, two or three inches in diameter, can stop a truck or a car. A semi might be a little different. That's eighty to 90,000 pounds hurtling at you down the highway. But a tree the size of a baseball bat will generally hold its ground against a regular size car. A tree of 18 to 20 inches in diameter will destroy a car. It's an immovable object. Your values should be the same. Your values as you grow deeper in your leadership, your deep-rooted values should grow deeper in you as well. The longer that you are in leadership and the older that you are in life, the more mature, presumably, as you age, you also age in maturity as well, then your tree trunk of values should become substantial. And it's not a little twig anymore. It's a, it's a trunk that will hold you. It's not just roots that are on the surface sticking up out of the dirt looking for, for oxygen and water, but roots that have gone down deep because those values have been watered by reinforcements over and over and over again. And if you are that kind of leader where your values have gone deep, where your roots run deep, then you know those values are priceless. That's not a tree you want to chop down at a whim. If you've invested in being a person of integrity, if you've done your homework and you know what right is from wrong, and you know not only that it's not politically expedient today, but in the long run, it's going to be well worth it. It's going to pay off to face the resistance today 
so that you can stand strong later. If you know that as a leader, then you know there is no price tag that can be put on your values. You have to hold on to them. Oh, somebody's going to want to buy them out. Somebody's going to want to change your opinion. Somebody's going to want you to go along to get along. Somebody's going to want you to walk away from what you've believed are your life and, and go with the crowd because, well, obviously, the more of them there are who believe that, the more right it is, right? No, not the case. If you have strong moral values, if they have been well-grounded and well-founded, then hold on to them. How long has it been since you've updated your brand or restocked your promotional items? The more often people see your company logos and taglines, the more often your company comes to mind. That top of mind thinking is exactly what grows businesses and generates revenues. So at Big Feet Creations, I've dedicated my time and talent for over 30 years designing and illustrating print and digital products that people love and remember. Now we're adding website design and audio video editing too. Call Big Feet Creations at 469-450-7350. I'm a big guy and I've taken big steps to help you grow big. Big Feet Creations, 469-450-7350. Call today, that's 469-450-7350. In this day and age, believe it or not, values are becoming commodities. People want to buy them off left and right. They want you to change your opinion and change your approach, change your political views on a moment's notice. In fact, even if you've got a completely different view today than you had tomorrow, as long as it's politically expedient, roll with it. Go wherever the wind blows like a kite on a string that's tied to nothing. But that's not what values look like. Values are established. And if you're not sure what your values are, then maybe you should begin asking yourself that question. What are the things that are most important to me? What are the ideas that I hold stronger to than I do the idea of having this job? Tom Peters mentioned it back in the early 2000s. He said, the idea of job security is now a myth. But employment security, that's an entirely different thing. Employment security says, even if this job doesn't fit me anymore, because the people have changed, the job has changed, the place has changed, the political climate has changed, the environment has changed, even if all those things change, and me and this job don't fit anymore, at least I 
have employment security, meaning I can do work, I have a skill set, I have a personality that's worth transitioning to another job. That's a whole different thing than job security, which says, I go along to get along. And when the peer pressure says, you've got to agree with these ideas in order to keep your job, you're willing to say, I'm, I'm done with the job then, because those ideas are contrary to my core values. I will hold on to my core values, my work ethic, my skill set, my intellect, my personality, my ability to get along with others. I will take those traits and my core values, and I'll go find another job. I'm not worried about job security. You can't threaten me with that because I have employment security. I have the ability to get a job. I have the ability to gain wealth in other places. This is not the only opportunity that I have. That shift in mindset allows you to hold on to your values in a much deeper way. But if you're not sure what those values are, then you're not going to know when they're being tested. I challenge you as a leader to take some time and write down your values. What are the things that you wouldn't sell out for? What are the expectations that might be asked of you at which you would just say, that's where I draw the line. I will leave my job before I will do that, before I will participate in behavior like that, before I'll sign on the dotted line for that, before I'll treat my employees that way, before I will say that I agree with that concept. I will leave my job and go find a job elsewhere. If you don't have anything in your life like that, that that you would say, I would risk it all to hold on to this value. I would risk it all to be able to say, I stood when there was a question. It's not a matter of a pay raise. You can't buy it that way. It's not a matter of vacation time. You can't buy my values that way. It's not a matter of a promotion or extra responsibilities. You can't buy my values that way. When you cross this line, I leave. I can't stay when that's the case. Until you have values like that, you will always be controlled by the incentives and the enticements to do what's expedient, politically expedient, or at least expedient for the moment based on the peer pressure and the organization. If you don't have those values, you're going to get blown around. If you do have those values, when the storm comes, you'll have something worth holding on to. Multiple streams of income are the local business owner's new protection against inflation. If you enjoy sharing health insights and helping others live their healthiest lifestyle possible, you can create wealth for yourself and your family by doing what you love to do every day. Call 469-939-8933. Discover how to incorporate additional financial revenue into your love of health and wellness and the work you're already doing, using your time wisely and leveraging networks you already work with. Ready to learn more? Join the Wellness Institute's Corolla Bradas, subject of the book, Look Beyond Tomorrow, to help even more people realize their potential and achieve their health goals. Build a side business with products sourced in North America and protect your bottom line. Call 469-939-8933 today. That's 469-939-8933. Call now. Hi, welcome to Heroes in Action. I'm Ray Amanat, founder and creator of this training system. I originally made it so that everyone can train for free. We have programs for kids, for women, families, and businesses. I'm an author, speaker, and educator on everything that has to do with violence and bullying prevention education. 
If you'd like more information about who we are and what our programs are, please go to our website at heroesinaction.us or give me a call if you have any questions at 727-314-2534. We hope to see you here to train. You know, there are tons of phrases. There are only a few that come to mind at this moment, but things like keep your eye on the ball. That was another one of those as a kid that I remember hearing all the time. Keep your eye on the ball. And I thought, unless I'm literally going to physically take the baseball and stick it to my face, I don't understand what you mean by keep your eye on the ball. I mean, you want me to see the ball flying at me. You want me to swing the bat at the ball. And then you want me to run to first base. I have to look up to figure out where first base is, too. I have to make sure I don't run over anybody on the way. I have to swing the bat and then drop the bat and then get to first base and keep your eye on the ball. It just seems like too much instruction. But I also had no idea exactly what it meant. How often, though, do we as leaders give instructions that are like that, that are as almost as useless as keep your eye on the ball because the leader brings these instructions with the implication that they're fully understood. They're they're delivered with the expectation that people are going to follow the instructions that you gave them and you assume, ooh, there's that ugly word, you assume that they know everything that goes into that instruction at the time that you give it to them. You want them to do the right thing. You want them to follow the instructions. You want them to mind the gap, to watch the numbers, to keep an eye on the bottom line. But if keep an eye on the bottom line or keep it in the black, that was an instruction that I got one time. If those instructions don't mean anything because they fall within a very specific context, then they're kind of useless. Keep it in the black was yelled at me by an old fire chief. I was driving the fire truck. He decided he wanted to fight fire that day. We're driving into a 40-acre grass fire. And in the middle of that grass fire are two oil storage tanks, giant crude oil storage tanks. This could be a disaster if those things caught fire or even just got enough burn around them to overheat them. And as we're driving off the road through the fence lines into the pasture, he yells to me, keep it in the black, keep it in the black, keep it in the black. Well, to me, that sounds like an accounting term. Don't spend all the money so that we're in the red. We don't want to go negative. Keep it in the black. Keep the numbers in the black. If you're looking at the spreadsheet of the budget and the numbers are black, you're doing all right. They should still be large, not just small numbers. But if they start going red, you're negative. You're losing money. That's not good for your checking account or your budget. So keep it in the black is a really good instruction in budgeting. But in a fire truck, I was lost. I had no idea what he was talking about. Later, he said to me, the grass that's black has already been burned. The fire can't go back there. So drive where the grass has already been burned. Even if there's some little flames, those little flames are unlikely to hurt the truck. But if you're in the space where the high grass is, that's going to be a problem because that's where the fire is going too. And I'm thinking to myself, Well, isn't that what we want to fight is where the fire is going to? I'm thinking hockey puck, right? You don't swing where the puck was. You swing where the puck is going. You don't skate to where the puck was. You skate to where the puck is going. But apparently that's not the way you do it in firefighting. Do you see how 
easy it is as a leader to shout instructions that mean very little to the people you're instructing. It's almost as frustrating as being yelled at in another language. I've been in the Congo and Brazil and Cuba and to have people shout instructions at you, whether you're going through the airport and they're trying to take your passport or you're just trying to get a meal, when those instructions come at you in another language, there's nothing you can do about it if you don't understand that language and you don't have an, a translator or an interpreter. But when you're a leader, I want you to be aware of the instructions that you shout at people. Keep your eye on the ball, keep it in the black, mind the gap. How many of these instructions can actually be carried out? Here's another question though. How do you treat people when you give them instructions that they don't seem to follow? How long does it take you to catch on to the fact that the instructions you gave are not followable because they don't understand what they mean? Now, I can tell you, having raised four young people myself from little bitty kids to in their 20s now, there are a lot of times that they don't want to tell you, I don't get it. They're not going to push back and go, what does that even mean? They're going to say, yeah, you got it. I'm going to do it. Absolutely. I've had employees that would do the same thing. You give them an instruction and you kind of get the look on their face like a deer in a headlight or like you said something to them in another language. And when you're done talking, they nod their head and they tell you they're going to do it and they they swear that they're going to do it. And then it doesn't happen. And you're like, well, I, I, I told you to do that. Why is that not done? And I didn't know what you meant by it. Well, why didn't you say that when I gave you the instructions rather than waiting until now we're in a crisis because it wasn't done? See, as a leader, it's your responsibility to communicate clearly. As a leader, it's your responsibility to ensure that the instructions you gave were understood. And sometimes that understanding is as much about your ability to be clear on what the instruction is as it is to ensure, assure, not assume, that the receiver can translate the instructions you gave them. Keep your eye on the ball. If you played baseball long enough, you probably know what that means. If you've ever been guilty of clipping, <laughs> you now know what that means. There was probably a price to pay for all that clipping. For me, it was hundreds of thousands of yards of running up and down the field until I stopped clipping because I was just running. I had no idea what I'd done wrong. Nobody told me, oh, clipping looks like when you block somebody from behind or when you hit them below the knees and you do it within a certain period, of, a certain distance of the uh, line of scrimmage. Well, you could have told me that early on rather than just yelling at me for doing it and then punishing me for doing it. And if you've ever been the victim of a leader who's poor in their communication, who's not clear on their expectations or their desired outcomes, but they punish you when you fall short of them, then you know what it feels like to be on the receiving end of that. Don't be the kind of leader who shouts those instructions, useless instructions, that are unactionable. People can't take action on them because they don't make any sense to them. You're speaking a foreign language. Take the time to explain what that action would look like if it was done properly, what it might look like if it was not done properly, and what the consequences will be if it's not done properly. If you can explain that in detail, or here's a good one, actually demonstrate it, then the instructions will carry a lot more weight, and so will your leadership. You will probably see the results that you're driving for a lot more often when you instruct your team to do something 
that you can demonstrate for them rather than just shouting instructions and dealing out penalties for failing to carry out the instructions they never understood. Keep your eye on the ball. Keep it in the black. Mind the gap. These could be useless instructions, or they could be life-saving instructions. And that's really about the instruction giver. And that's you, the leader. I'm Jay Lauren Norris with Leading Leaders Podcast, or Tell It Like It Is TV. Have a blessed day. Subscribe now for our extensive video library of leadership lessons promoting faith, family, and freedom.